Good morning everybody. Uh thank you so much for coming today. Uh today we have uh Lesanga Dhamma talk. Uh uh Dylan uh I think Dylan is a one of good no, a noble friend. Uh and he I think he last year he took precepts and and whenever he here after meditation uh for us for the monks uh he gave a english he uh, he gave a english word meaningful english word and uh it's meaning he want to teach some english uh he's helping us uh, he's a good noble friend uh today is his time to share his experience um and some teaching what he his learn and his life experience okay this is your time <laughs> excellent so hello everyone it's an honor to be chosen to provide the dhamma talk this saturday morning and i'd like to thank you and the monastics for this opportunity to be here Originally I was asked to present the speech I gave during the Pesaka Day celebration once more. However, since this speech was already heard once by so many and since it was distributed through the Blue Lotus email, I thought it would be fun to try and broach something new. I will confess that what I've prepared is short and that the talk will likely be no more than 10 minutes, which may be exciting for those of you looking to jump start your Saturday. Even to me it's somewhat exciting. However, for those of you who would like to remain in the temple until the usual time of departure, I do have an exercise in community building for us to engage in. But more on that will be to follow. So, the pressing question is, what am I going to talk with you about today? I did not know the answer to that until about 6 p.m. yesterday, and I knew about this for a month and a half. So, that is the usual way things go. Nothing's changed since I was a student at school. Hopefully it's something engaging. I would actually like to begin with a question and for it just to make its rounds throughout the assembly. Fortunately, I haven't written the question down, so I do have to remember it from memory. How best to ask. So, since you have found your way to the Buddhist path, has anybody in the assembly felt a need or a desire to for lack of a better word proselytize this message to people in their lives or have you felt a contentment with only keeping this message to yourself and living out its peace on your own No 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 it's a question for everyone uh yeah both both Mhm So as a follow-up question and this is something that I've talked about for quite a while with one of my noble friends do you feel that there is any innate obligation to share the dharma with anyone besides yourself mm-hmm. Yes and no the most buddhist answer there is So I think today I would like to tell you about a conversation I had with a noble friend of mine. 
Our conversation revolved around a cousin of his who was absolutely in sync with his job. He worked in a call center dealing with sales and investments where the pace was fast, the din was loud, and its overall atmosphere was akin to something like that of an over-caffeinated stock exchange. For many of us, or for many of his co-workers, this environment proved to be detrimentally chaotic and, stress and stressful to their mental environments. But not for him. Intuitively, he had found a way to fluidly and gracefully adapt to his environment, thrive in it, and eventually come to love it. He described a feeling that he felt there, a state of flow where he was in sync with all of the sudden changes that his environment engendered. He described an ability to accept and mold these changes so that at the end of the day, no matter what would come to pass, he would leave with a feeling of peace of mind and emotion that allowed him to sleep very well and return with the same steadiness the next day. I must admit, I'm somewhat envious of him. I think my life would be quite a bit better if I could figure that out. And so did my noble friend. Mm -hmm. My noble friend listened to his cousin with great interest. He noted that what his cousin experienced sounded similar to what some meditators say they experience in their practice, this ability to constantly experience change, both subtle and radical, and experience this groundlessness and not be thrown off kilter. He recognized this as what many associate with a deep sense of personal peace. He asked his cousin a question that I think many of us would like to know the answer to. How do you do it? How do you reach a place of equanimity and calm when everything around you is so chaotic and subject to change? Unfortunately, he received a fairly unsatisfactory answer. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's the kind of answer you expect to get at a family barbecue. It truly is. He was vexed by this answer, as you can imagine. Certainly, there must be something that you orient your mind to when you're in the midst of all this. A contemplative object, a mantra, something. No, it all just sort of happens this way. Can't explain it. Can you get me a beer? Yeah. And that was it. The conversation progressed in that direction no further. His cousin had no words of wisdom to offer, no advice, could offer no direction on how one could replicate the composure and calm he had achieved. My friend was very, very disappointed in this outcome. He had genuinely hoped for a bit of insight from someone who seemed to be practiced in the art of calm, that he might take a page from his cousin's book and apply it to his own work, but to no avail. As we spoke further, my friend eventually disclosed that he thought this lack of an answer was fairly selfish of his cousin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and since I hear some laughter, I, I do want to ask, how do you feel about that? About feeling so much peace in an arena of life that we would all like to feel it, and then having no advice for anybody else to try and achieve that? Yeah, but if a person doesn't clear understanding of how they achieved it, how they share it. So if, you, if, mm -hmm. it was a, if it was a sincere answer of, oh, I don't know, man, trust it, doesn't have it to share, and okay. has a great deal of love,
continues to pass the like, getting rid of that suffering, just letting things go. Yeah, see, I, I like all of those answers. You know, I felt, you know, waves of simultaneous con conflicting feelings of, well, of course, if he doesn't know, you know, he shouldn't be sharing. How can you not know, though? And that went back and forth in my mind. And yes, eventually my own mental hands, you know, go up. Please. I think we've all experienced there's some people that Things just kind of um, happen in their life. Uh, I have a nephew like that. He's, he's just got this kind of like groove in life that just seems to happen. They call, we call it the Elliot magic. But he doesn't go deep. There's nothing wrong with that. He's just a lucky person and um, something doesn't rock his world yet. You know, I just think it's the temperament and the person and. Because of the Elliot magic, it's something. It might not. It might not. Everyone has their own spiritual path. But we all I like all of these answers. My friend at the time, I don't think he would have liked these answers. He was still very vexed. You know, his cousin had achieved, you know, a genuine regular disposition of equanimity in a highly stressful scenario, uh, the workplace, which is something that we experience well, at least a third of our days if we work eight-hour days. You know, if he could just tell us the formula for that feat, my friend genuinely felt that we would all be better off for it. But it appeared that his cousin had no intention of examining his path that led to that situation, no intention of formulating direction that could be passed on to others. He felt a slice of peace and was simply content to live with it, day in, day out. At the time, the feeling that began to encroach upon the conversation was, what an insensitive jerk holding on to all that peace. How dare you? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't he know we need the answers? And he has to provide them if he's found them. I remember in high school, there was a general feeling that if one guy knew how to complete the test, boy, should he share the answer key with everybody. And let me tell you, it did not help us. It did not help us, ultimately. Oh, but as this sentiment began to encroach upon our conversation, uh, a memory of mine came to mind about some of my readings into um, the Jataka tales and some other yeah, Buddhist sutras and things of that nature, and particularly a memory of the Pratyeka Buddhas. Does anyone know what the Pratyeka Buddhas are? I see one person. Yes. Yes, that is exactly what Pratyeka Buddha is. The Pratyeka Buddhas are considered uh, by some schools of Buddhism to be one of three types of enlightened beings that the Buddha spoke of. Pratyeka Buddha itself can be translated one of several ways. Lone Buddha, private Buddha, silent Buddha, or a Buddha on their own. They are beings who achieve enlightenment without the use of teachers and guides, but often through their sheer diligence and their own practice. Once enlightened, they are said to live as solitary rhinos, bearing with them the realization of nirvana, but are unable and perhaps sometimes just 
not interested in teaching this way to others. Upon recalling these silent Buddhas, who the Buddha himself venerated, my second-hand irritation with my friend's cousin began to abate. I asked my friend if in his readings he had ever heard about the solitary rhinos, and it was his first time ever hearing of them from me. Since we had quite a bit of time in the car on our way to Kenosha, we mulled over these things being, uh, these beings together, their serenity, their silence, the question of whether or not they have a responsibility to the world to do more. We recalled the teachings that the path of the Theravadan is a path that focuses on liberation for yourself. We were reminded of the structure of our own meditations here, how we begin with sending loving kindness to ourselves first and foremost, and other basic teachings of the way, particularly the last portion of the Buddhist farewell address, which I would like to take a moment to read to you now. Those who, either now or after I am dead, shall be a lamp unto themselves, relying upon themselves only and not relying upon any external help, but holding fast to the truth as their lamp and seeking their salvation in truth alone, shall not look for assistance to anyone besides themselves. It is they, Ananda, among my bhikkhus, who shall reach the very topmost height, but they must be anxious to learn. My age is now full, ripe. My life draws to its close. I leave you. I depart, relying on myself alone. Be earnest then, O brethren, holy, full of thought. Be steadfast in resolve. Keep watch o'er your own hearts. Who wearies not, but holds fast to his truth and law, shall cross the sea of life, shall make an end of grief. It is said that after that, the Buddha passed into Parinirvana. Recalling this piece of the sutras particularly, my friend and I were reminded of just how much of this practice really is based off the individual journey, often taken alone and without the guidance of mentors and masters. Even us who are in a sangha together, we leave at the end of the day at 11 o'clock, and oh, this one actually might go to 11 o'clock. <laughs> And then we are forced to carry this burden on our own, this burden of finding our way through life, of being at peace with nobody directly in front of us to ask a question to. It is difficult, but it is what the Buddha himself asked of us to do. Soon, me and my noble friend discussed how in life this is all we have, that only you have you to turn to for the answers. And in the absence of those answers, you alone are the discoverer left at the helm. With these thoughts in mind, it became easier for my friend to begin letting go of the notion of his cousin as selfish for not being able or even expressing any desire to dig deeper into his path and teach it to others. How could he think this when the final words of the Buddha himself were an exhortation of self-discovery, however solitary it may be? Still, he had to admit, there was a lingering feeling of discontent, a haranguing thought that if anyone finds any modicum of peace, one should be obligated to share it with others, should talk freely about their discovery, should say something to inspire the beginning of peace in others. 
I'd like to take a moment to introduce you all to the delightful idiom said often by psychologist Robert or Albert Ellis, stop shooting all over yourself. <laughs> I think there are people in this room who understand this feeling and maybe even share it. I know I certainly understand this feeling. It's a pretty big reason of why I'm up here speaking today. But a question dawns upon me. Is the bhikkhu or bhikkhuni who has taken the vow of silence not a messenger of peace? In their silence, do they not teach us? Do we not learn? When you exist in peace, you have given something to others, to the world, even if you never once tell them how to be peaceful. The being in peace emanates about them a field of the most virtuosic things we can hope to directly experience. Loving kindness, compassion, patience, equanimity, to name a few. They are all there still, whether or not they are being spoken of formally or taught formally, they are still impacting the world. And without ever having to ask, we can still experience the emanations of these virtuosic energies, though the emanators offer no direction, no words of insight. To be awake, is to experience this, and to not demand another's answers, is to open yourself to the wordless sermon that is the Dhammas itself. But we have to be perceptive enough to realize when it is being presented to us. Thank you.